Hello, my name is Henry Quinney and welcome to the Pink Bike Podcast. I'm joined this week by Dario DiGiulio and Mike Kazima, as well as SRAM's Chris Mandel. Now, sometimes we do interviews, but we actually all know Chris from riding. He lives in Bellingham and he's up in Whistler. So we just thought, you want to just come on and talk shit with us. And hopefully, I mean, I'm worried that you'll actually make non-speculative opinions because you, you, you maybe know the bike industry in a way that we don't. So if you can speculate wildly, please do. Um, but yeah, welcome to, welcome to the podcast, Chris. Yeah, thanks for having me. I'm not super good at speculating because <laughs> I know too much and I've been <laughs> in it for too long, but I can try. So what exactly is your role at SRAM, just to fill, in pe- fill people in? Yeah, yeah. So I, I take care of public relations for SRAM, RockShox, and all of our associated brands. Um, and uh, it's great, super good company to work for. Um, they allowed me to move from Colorado to Bellingham um, for some family reasons, and they kept me employed, which was um, really amazing thing for them to do. It was pre-COVID at the time; they didn't have very many remote workers, um, so it was a big, it was a big deal. And yeah, so I worked for them, but really, I'm actually just a cyclist. Yeah, I've been a cyclist since I quit playing American football in college. Did you play American football? Yeah, for I got I got I actually went the college that I went to I went to because they recruited me to play American football. No way! So you were pretty good then. Uh, I had potential because of my size. Yeah, you know, like when I I think I was like two just for listeners. I was going to say <laughs> Chris is five foot four. <laughs> Chris um, is a tall man. Yeah, I was two ten, and they wanted me to weigh like two fifty by my senior year mm. and drop my forty time. Wow. Yeah. And so, what was your forty time? I, I can't remember. Oh, come on! Yeah, and it so was as, decent though. As the man in charge of uh, you know public or oh, kind of working with public relations of SRAM, were you responsible for standing on Met Kangas? Was that? Uh, <laughs> I did do that. Yeah, yeah we did it as well. It was so <laughs> yeah. much fun. It was great. And then there was a rush like standing on a Met Kanga. It's <laughs> amazing. Yeah, who knew? Every year, standing on derailers. <laughs> <laughs> I love it because now you get in, like you know whatever shimano do they could do you know the next like di2 it could be amazing people like we couldn't just stand on it <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so dario and kaz what are you guys doing up in whistler this week uh we're just doing some shock testing we've got some bunch of shocks and a couple bikes and yeah mm-hmm. doing some laps getting some testing done while we're actually nice up here playing football with with uh chris yeah, yeah. exactly yeah this is training camp for learn how to throw a ball should we <laughs> should we do a pink bike combine where we all have to like get our vertical leap at our 40 time and like <laughs> all of our shit. Be, I think we're all probably reasonably fit, but I think the functionality of our fitness is probably oh, yeah, yeah, <laughs> very low. Like that could be good actually. Like how unfit is a mountain biker compared to like an average crossfitter? <laughs> right. Yeah. I'm pretty specialized in that. I can only, it's like it, being an idiot savant for fitness, whatever that is. Like I can ride a bike and that's about it. <laughs> so um, we were just talking, you know, before we start recording and we we're just chatting about the season that is we've got slope star well where emilio anton's very much dominating we've got a really great season of enduro it seems i think we've had a different winner every round and um let's face it the downhill ain't half bad either and it kind of prompted the discussion as, as mountain bikers sort of what attributes we hold in, in ha- highest regard and what racing we're currently finding most exciting and chris you said something really interesting where you were saying the way that you like to follow races for you and the thing that tracks most is just sort of the photo epic sort of thing. Would, would you say that'd be fair? Of, is that specific to enduro or is that across all the sports? Yes, yeah, it's, it's across all the sports for me. And I, I think it has something to do with like how my brain works and like visually locks onto things. But, you know, like the photo epics and then tying that into like captions of the story and the race results is what sticks in my mind the most uh, for me. And so it's like what I gravitate to and I, Video doesn't work as well for me. Are you one of the commenters that complains constantly that we put videos up? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm not in the comment section, Shimano but in my mind. <laughs> in the comment section of my mind. <laughs> and Dario, what what racing do you consume the most of? Would you say downhill? I downhill. Think. And I, I like the video coverage. Mm. Like I really enjoy watching like a full run, thinking about that, journaling about it. And then watching another full run. Nice I think that's quite compelling. Um, <laughs> no, I just, I really do enjoy something I get a kick out of every time I get to watch a race in person is just how differently different people ride their bike. It, that's a very interesting thing to me. Like mechanically, we all work very differently. Like Chris and I are similar ish in height, but like if you looked at the two of us on a bike, we look completely different. 
and like that comes across a lot with pro racers and and do you think that i mean i find it quite interesting now living in north america how hard it is to follow a lot of sport that happens in europe mm-hmm. because it all happens at the crack of dawn do, uh, do you get up for the downhill live or are you kind of satisfied doing it just late on in the day i just watch it later on usually yeah. i've like it's woken tired. up a couple times for kicks but i just avoid social media and pink bike yeah. for that day and um, then i watch it all later and what do you think of because i i i love watching the downhill i find i find now the time commitment for the semi-finals is actually a bit oh, too much oh i don't do the yeah i am guilty of like scrubbing to a name that i'm familiar with yeah and then starting there and that's usually like an hour and a half of watch time it, it's a which is break. about as much as i can do yeah, same. Yeah, I haven't really been watching the semifinals, even though like it's interesting that they have it. But as far as watching, I I, I accidentally watched the entire semifinals for the first round. I was like, huh, the like nothing about this feels like the fanfare of a finals run. And then I realized at the very end of it that it was oh, no. the semifinals run. I was like, well, I just sank two hours on that. <laughs> but it was interesting to watch. And at no point did they mention throughout the cast that it was the semifinals. Right. They were just commenting on the runs, but like with much less veracity than they tend to. They were just kind of, oh, yeah, it looks pretty good there. And then it would be silent for like 45 seconds. I was like, wow, they're really not doing a great job. <laughs> and then I realized that it wasn't finals. And Kaz, you actually... You know, you you were budgeting cross country racer this year. Mm, yeah, uh, are you following the <laughs> no cross country? Just actually, you know, looking up different types of chamois cream and stuff like that. Yeah, just researching. No, <laughs> I I like the cross country racing exists, but I don't really follow. It. Like, I'll watch the highlights once in a while, but it, like that doesn't stick in my brain as much. But I do follow downhill. I've been watching that for years, obviously, and then yeah. enduro. I like I like that too. But downhill, is something I will during race season. I'll watch the replay every every time it happens for the the men and women, at least the top like. Top good solid chunk of the field. Am I allowed to ask questions? Yeah, absolutely. Because encouraged. The as we're talking about this, the question that <laughs> I have is: when you're at a race, like if you're at a World Cup and there's a downhill and a cross country event, do you still do you like watching the cross country event in person? I've only been to one World Cup, and that was just Fort William, and there was no cross country, so I've only mm, been to a downhill. Okay. Well, I've been to a couple actually. A few. I take that back. I've been to some. More than one downhill World Cup, but I've never been to a cross-country World Cup race. Yeah. I mean, but part of what I was thinking about, with, the reason why I wanted to ask that question is because I've only I've been to a very, very few, but the ones that I have been, the downhill race is really exciting. The cross-country race is also like electrifying and mm-hmm. for a longer period, kind of a longer period of time because you're mm-hmm. watching the, the hem and the haw of it mm-hmm. in the moment. And when you're there, it feels much different than when you're watching it live. I, I think I would probably prefer watching cross country in person purely for that factor like watching a track meet it's really cool to watch people like gunning for the finish line together like there's race craft race craft involved versus watching someone like do a long jump or something yeah like it's it's cool to have the relativity but also in europe the crowds i mean i know in leger world champs last year there were like unbelievably big crowds yeah but normally the crowds for the cross country is is a lot bigger you know, I, I mean, think, and uh, viewership, yeah, viewship, is way oh, viewership smashes the downhill. Yeah. yeah, yeah, totally. But um, you know, we were again talking about this earlier on today, and it's interesting because in downhill, people have kind of gravitated towards similar amount bikes with similar amounts of travel, and then wrapping it in the, you know, sort of cloth material of your choice to hide the linkage. <laughs> um, enduro, it seems that 160, 170 mil seems like the settled travel amount, but in cross country, people are just doing what the hell they want. We've got. Yeah. 80 mil travel bikes we've got 100 mil travel bikes and now bikes actually almost look pleasant to ride yeah chris in terms of how it works when it, when it comes to a customer do you think the athletes are really getting what they want or do you think they're being getting what they're given and making it work because there's such a huge variance yeah i don't i don't know that i'm close enough to like the hem and the haw of each individual athlete and like the teams in general to know i my my guess is there's like so much choice in that space that they, they probably are getting somewhat close to what they, what they want. They, they probably do get caught in, you know, like they're, the company they're riding for releases a new bike this year and they're getting pressure to ride that well, imagine, bike versus the previous imagine bike. Imagine being Tom Pidcock riding that beautiful BMC 
And then Pinarello being like, we've actually got something we've made just for you. And being like, oh, Jesus Christ, no. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But I, I, you know, like I wonder, and I mean, and I think this is something that like getting into the stories of it and the individual racers would be kind of more interesting. But in my imagination, there's probably, you know, like bikes that are better suited to riders. Like I can only relate this back to my own personal experience, but like if I was going to go do a World Cup cross country race, my bike would probably be pretty oriented towards like getting me up the climbs as fast as possible because I could deal with something that was relatively sketchy on the descents, except I would need a dropper post. Um, (laughs) but, but like something that would, that would, I could get by on the descents with, but like, I need as much help as I can on the climbs because I'm probably a lot heavier than any of the other people doing the race. Well, I've heard it theorized that the lighter that you are, the, in terms of, percentage of your overall weight you you pay for a full suspension bike more mm, you know like if, if you're 60 kilos a kilo is a lot more than if you're 80 kilos you know mm. um so if you're kind of lighter and i've heard but obviously I, you know this is a nice bit of speculation <laughs> so you could ride like a 40 pound enduro bike it'd be yeah. relatively not that bad <laughs> oh wait a 40 pound enduro bike mm-hmm. kaz ed masters showed me that i was right about everything and Master showed mean, you that there are a couple examples of you. Yeah. Sure. I, I don't think he showed you that. He showed you that some riders are on very heavy bikes. Yeah, yeah. Maybe. But they're yeah. Paid, paid to ride those bikes. And I bet if they had a choice, <laughs> they might be like, ooh, I wish my bike was a couple pounds lighter. Yeah, but who, which of them had a lot? Sorry, for context, Ed Masters doing some great enduro coverage. Yeah, the best. The best coverage. Just the best. Yeah, we'll do a whole segment on Ed soon because we'll he's doing we'll great stuff. We'll have the yeah. Masters segment. Yeah. But first of all, for he both brothers, just said to anyone within you know, arm's reach, how much does your bike weigh? There was some tourists, there was some innocent yeah. bystanders, but also a lot of pro enduro racers. And their bikes, they weren't light. No, yeah, it was surprising how heavy they were. And they obviously had pedals on them and some had a couple accessories, but overall it was just bikes with pedals and no water bottle, no tools. And they were all, I would say, the vast majority of these were in the upper 30s, which wasn't surprising, but it was also like, oh yeah, bikes do get pretty heavy when you put downhill casing tires on and make them designed for to last yeah. you know, a day of hard racing. Mean weight was 36.3 pounds. There we go. But do you think that... Did the, the monster math. <laughs> so, Dario, if we think about the 29-inch trail bike, I think that for years, maybe as like a hangover from smaller wheeled bikes or when bikes were less capable, we always talked about the 30-pound trail bike as a good thing. Do you think those days are, are done? I will say for myself, for the first time ever, I currently have a bike that weighs less than 30 pounds. So no I don't think I'm indicative of like the broader market. And is that because you just attacked everything with oven cleave cleaner or was it just a stem? Yeah, I actually stripped everything. <laughs> like there's, there's no more frame. It's just a, it's like the gestalt idea of what was the frame and it's all been melted away. So no, what, I've, what I've built this? up like a, I have like a tall boy that I'm building up as a staff ride to test some stuff. And that is about 29 pounds. But when you say building up, does it mean what it hasn't got wheels on yet or something? <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, it's a complete rideable bike that weighs less than 30 pounds. Though Shit. I will say that, like I'm looking at another bike of mine that weighs like 36 to 37, depending, probably on the higher end right now. And I just think of that as normal. So I think I was calibrated to accept the results of the Ed Masters poll, where a lot of people were shocked. It's so to me, if, it was not surprising. Imagine if you worked with one brave tech editor, not afraid to speak the truth. Imagine. Imagine. Tr- Imagine I level. still don't believe it's the truth, but I don't think the heavy bikes are the solution. I don't think, I don't they're, think the they're solving anything. I think they're the answer I, to surviving a race. They're weekend. not solving anything, but the answer to the problem. They're indicative of of <laughs> the 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 choices that people who do this for a job have to make. I yeah. think because okay. like you look at like you know like enduro racer number six has to win to make money, has yeah, to but- do well, has to perform. And in order to assure their performance, it makes sense that they would bake in a certain Darryl, amount of reliability. If you were buying a chainsaw, would you buy like the Husqvarna chainsaw? Or I'd buy, buy the lightest chainsaw the I could Price find. Chainsaw, like my first chainsaw. Well, what the professionals use is never is an endorsement of the thing. It's not like you don't need that just because they know what they're But you doing. really don't. Like a professional I would buy lumberjack a might use a cheap, huge bar chainsaw. Yeah. You don't need that. It's too much. Have you, you, have you little, seen like, the discrepancy one. in chainsaw okay, prices? Yeah. Chainsaws, <laughs> they also <laughs> have a lot of chainsaws. Like There's a lot of options. Professional lumberjacks yeah. you got a quiver, have, if you will, like, yeah, chainsaws. a huge quiver of yeah. chainsaws. But, and there's electric chainsaws now. That's what I have. Oh, do you? Me too. I have one of the big boy silky saws. That's analog. 
analog. Old, old school. Yeah. <laughs> Those are for when the battery on the chainsaw yeah. runs out. Well, we're, right. gonna, we're probably going to get some of the comments now, like, E-chainsaws aren't real chainsaws. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. yeah, exactly. Oh, man, mix your own bar oil. <laughs> well, it still takes bar oil, so I get to do that. Uh, you okay. still take your face off, too. Yeah, it's still True. dangerous. Yeah, mine's an 18-inch bar. Um, Chris, do you think, in terms of, I'm sure, without going too much into it, but as a, as a product manufacturer, where does weight sit into your priorities for all mountain, no, dirty word, for trail and enduro components? All Mountain is the correct term. All Mountain is I the like correct term. Yeah, all yeah sorry, the I like All Mountain, yes. Well, let's bring it back. I mean, first off, I, I was actually also surprised by that article to the point where I was like, I should buy a scale because I haven't weighed my personal bikes in a long time and I, I bet, you know, like maybe I'm not that far off of those categories. Um, you know, I think we're always trying to build the product that allows people to build the weight of bike that they want to build. So like, uh, I'll use transmission as an example right now. XXSL is designed to be the lightest option in that space. XX is designed to be a product that you could build a cross-country bike with, or you could build an enduro bike with. It can span that whole range in terms of like the gearing being there and like the weight being appropriate. And then XX, or sorry, rather XO stepping down from that is, you know, like, hitting at a better price point, but can cover that whole range. Um, and then, you know, on the brake side of things, we're covering a similar range. Code. Other drivetrains are available. I just yeah. need to throw viewers out there. Yeah. I mean, you, you know, you, I, I tried, I'm trying to answer these questions in two ways. <laughs> no, like from a personal standpoint, like I, I read that article and I was surprised by the weights of those bikes. And it made me curious about the weight of my own bikes. Cause you know, I do, I have two bikes that I ride mainly. Santa Cruz Mega Tower, and I have a Stump Jumper Evo. And I really like both of those bikes. And my Mega Tower is like heavy hitting and sweet, and I can run things over with it. And then my Stump Jumper Evo is for riding the trails that are close to my house that are like a little bit more benign. And I don't have to worry about getting flat tires and all the other things. And so it's, I try to build it as light as I possibly can. And it's, it's a pleasure being able to switch into in between those two bikes because like I wouldn't want to ride that stump jumper Evo in some of the places that I ride the mega tower and vice versa. That's the beauty of having two, two bikes quite close to each other, but so minutely different. Did I say mega tower? Yeah. He's a nomad. Sorry for for, uh, clarification. Yeah. Yeah. I have a nomad. I don't know why I said mega tower. That's okay. They look the same. Plus you painted it in front of Yeah, I painted it. It was a mega tower at one point. So starting with you guys, if you were racing an EW, EDR tomorrow, and you were riding as hard as you, you know. I, well, before I, I have a side note, EDR oh, is the worst name. EDR's EDR horrible. sounds like EDM, and like yeah. I, I want to say EWS, and they get mad when we say EWS, which is fine. Who gets mad? But the people the that people. run it. Sorry to whoever's running it that's going to get mad at me now. But like they need a different acronym. Mm. I don't know. Like I mean, EDC doesn't sound right. The acronym for downhill is DHI. We don't call it that. No, I know. Like that's a yeah. It's just kind of a weird one. But anyways, Excellent. back anyway, to your question. Yeah. So if you were racing an enduro. What, what casing or tie would you go for and would you want insert? No inserts, downhill casing. Dario? Either no inserts, downhill casing or double down equivalent with an insert in the rear. In the rear. And yourself? I would make the decision based on where it was. Right. Very You're likely. You're not into this, Chris, are you? I know, Please I'm sorry. Please don't free zone. Yeah, I, but I mean, it would be downhill casing or double down. Mm. Again, personal preference like i have a reasonable degree of confidence in my ability to ride fast and keep the air in my tires um but i would make that decision based on like how you know like if it was right finale Ligure, i would put downhill case yeah i was gonna say like, where they just raced like yeah like there are rocks like actively moving across the yeah. track as they're going down like medina you... double down yeah. okay yeah. so and i'll say like last year when i raced the enduro here in whistler i ran double down front and rear and this course is pretty rough and I didn't have any issues. Like I can obviously go lighter, but if it's my job, if, the, if I was like a professional athlete, I'd be airing towards the heavier side just to avoid yeah. anything. You know, and like, this race here last year, I ran heavier tires with inserts to try to make a smaller bike feel beefier. Yeah. And, and it didn't work. <laughs> I was going to say, working is a good thing. So that's my next point. Going around again, Kaz, what do you think your success rate is from tire sealant? fixing punctures trail side 
Um, <laughs> because I don't think it does anything. I'm going to be honest. I think it is just the big short. I never, I'm like, oh, I'm never like, oh my God, it's sealed. It never like, does no, anything. The point of sealant, Henry, is so when it's leaking, you can see where the hole is. You just look for it, spray and seal it out, and then you know where to plug it. Without well, the sealant, you would just be, it'd be a mystery and be so much harder. Okay, I agree point. with Mike. Yeah. It also serves a great purpose in mounting fresh tires. Like there is that yeah. like, mm. but you can just put a little gel coating. I've yeah. done it before, just like, like painted it on and then just set mm. and done. I think I, there's a lot of flats that you don't notice because the sealant takes care of it. For sure. Yeah. I recently got a test bike in, had tires on the wheels. I assumed there was sealant in the tires because it had been built by someone and sent to me pretty recently. Went for a couple rides. The end of the second ride, which was like quite long, I noticed that my rear tire was going flat. I was like, oh shoot, I looked for sealant, didn't see any. Just like ripped home because I was within like two miles of my house and I got home, popped the bead and realized that both tires were completely sealant free mm-hmm. and I had just been running on faith and the, the hole was so small. Yeah. Truly smaller than I could see i like once i put sealant in it i could find it it. seal it yeah perfectly okay and i will say i have been reusing the same jug of stands for like three years what's weird is that somehow the jug fills up over time you get the aerosol lid and you put it back in and you end up like a jug and a half (laughs) yeah i just did the squeezy bottle transfer method (laughs) seems to create more sealant every time (laughs) i do it that's actually what the stands factory is is someone just preempting the other just have a bunch of people squeezing stands from one (laughs) container to another see for a long time i ran no sealant and inserts what no sealant no sealant because it rubs the friction dries out anyway so i was like well just shoot the middle man i'll just run no sealant and then when it gets had a puncture oh my god i don't want to get involved and be carrying on the dirty insert anyway i'll just i'll just ride home so you wouldn't even (laughs) mount it with sealant no just fuck it straight on in there uh, Jobs are good. Yeah. That's wild. And it did me a long time, but annoying because every time I had a puncture, which was like two over the course of a year, I always ran into someone from Pink Bike. I like ran hmm. into Sarah Moore. I can't remember who else I went into. She was like, leave or something. I was like, this never normally happens. <laughs> I swear to God. It's just today. I mean, that's, a, that's an interesting approach. I mean, as, assuming if, they're run flat sealants, like that's not the worst. But if, if you have a puncture and you have, like, I mean, even I'm such, I'm so, everyone's going to think I'm an idiot. But I am loathed to even put an inner tube in there if, like, I'm close to my house. I'm just like, just ride home, just nurse at home. Yeah, and but it's like, you're the guy that doesn't care about weight, and you won't even put the few grams that some sealant does that would make. Oh you... no, it's not that. It's just the fat. Mm. It's so easy. Just but, like, I love cultivating all the boogers. Yeah. It like, isn't, I, mean, I, I, like... I do now. Like, but if if I'm running inserts and I know that it's hot, the sealant's going to dry up immediately. So <laughs> it's, it takes a while. Yeah, we live in a pretty cold that, climate. Yeah. Yeah. I I I've. I had to fix a lot of tires in my life. Like I consider myself. <laughs> Are you about to dispense some age old wisdom? Yeah. Expert when it comes to getting a tire back together. Because repair kit's impressive. Yeah. Um, a lot of stuff to fix a tire. Yeah. I, I like, I, I mean, I lived in Colorado for four years and in Colorado, there were a lot of punctures mm. and I got really, really good at it. And I'm sure there's listeners who have ridden at Angel Fire and you tire looks at a rock and it develops a hole. Same um, with St. Louis Obispo. Like yeah, I, I, I have, my kit there was completely different than it is now. Yeah. Have you ever heard of the Colorado bike design paradox? If mm. a bike rides well in Colorado, it rides terribly everywhere else. CBDP. Yeah. I, I didn't really experience <laughs> Sorry, <don't>. that. <laughs> I'm just pulling it like, yeah. but continue about the tires. How do you fix these tires? Oh, I mean, I think, I think, I think Dynaplug makes a really good product. Um, Panaracer, which I don't, I think you can buy them in, bike shops qbp stocks them so bike shops can get them but panaracer makes this little plastic box and it comes with a poker a pair of scissors and then a sheet of rubber and then a uh like vulcanizing uh glue it's stuff the, yeah that like scary chemical yeah scary chemical don't smell it, it smells good. um but yeah like if you have a dining <laughs> plug with you and then you have that panaracer kit the dino plug takes care of like the small circular holes and then when you get a bigger hole, you use the Panaracer thing and it's sweet. Maybe I don't want to ride with a tube. Maybe I want to ride with you, Chris. And you I can don't, just yeah, be like, right well, yeah. I usually can, I can fix most things with that and don't have to resort to a tube. Mm. I, I do. I use the park tool boot sticker. I have those too. Yeah. And uh, in my bike packing kit, I have a needle and thread or no floss. Way. See, I saw your, so we're doing these, we did the series called The Good, The Bad and The Ugly, which is like the editor's choice. 
Mm-hmm. I saw yours on the back end. I haven't actually added my bit yet, but it's on the list. Okay. You are prepared, man. I'm really not. Dude, I've, I've only started taking a multi-tool. <laughs> I know, well, well, yeah, well, compared to you. Yeah. I think we all knew, we all knew that yours was going to be the sparsest kit. Yeah, there's going to be a picture of a cell phone and that's Also, it. like, yeah. if, you, if you read through my narrative on it, this will make sense once the article's out, but, like, I don't carry all of that on every ride. That's the, like, things I would choose from to take. Oh, okay, oh, okay right. So, I, like, the only time I bring all the tools is if I'm going to spend, like, a week riding. Hmm. But you, then, have, you have done some big rides, haven't you? I, yeah, I mean, like, if I'm bikepacking, I will bring anything for, like, weird contingencies, except, like, a chain whip or whatever, because there's ways around that, but... And did you... It's nice to be somewhat prepared. That said, usually, like, today, I had a multi-tool in my pocket, and, like, many rides, that's it. Does that not scare the shit out of you, having a big metal multi-tool in your pocket? Where do you carry your cell phone? I mean, I could, I I could just as easily... Scared, but no, normally, I'd try to have a little bum bag. It's kind of neat. Yeah. Uh, see, I'm like... But a metal... No, I mean, well, I can also run into a tree. That's true. But you know, I, I, I try always to ride with a relatively small but first aid kit for that exact reason. Mm-hmm. And then I scale my first aid kit with my toolkit. So, like, as my toolkit gets more complicated, my first aid kit gets more complicated. Yeah. Yeah. I mainly carry Steri strips. I found they're like the smallest thing you can carry, and you can fix almost everything with Steri strips. They're very helpful. Anything worse, you can just like take your shirt off yeah. and fix it. Volley so, strap also. Yeah, you can yeah. fix injuries and bike parts. I with have used straps. them to hold like broken seat posts down and like tires on wheels. Yeah, they're great. Because Darrow, you did the you you rode the divide, right? Mm-hmm. So just for help, chronologically to help people understand, did you know you could grow a great, great mustache and then start bikepacking or were you a great no, bikepacker? No, the unfortunate truth is I was young enough when I did that, that <laughs> the result of like 40 days of no shaving was a pretty meager mustache. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Dude, but it gave me hope that maybe one day. And just talk people through that. Like, what was your setup? Were you... Just oh, I mean, I don't, we don't want to make it like a bikepacking podcast. I want to do, do a series where we all kind of have one-on-one podcasts. Okay. But was it was some amazing life-changing experience? Was it just? Yeah, it was a great time. Cool? I would recommend it to anyone who has a one to two months of spare time. Um, it's beautiful. There's a lot of plains in this country. It turns out, and you cross a lot of flat, grassy expanses. You climb a lot of hills. If you like climbing hills, you'll enjoy this. Uh, but my on a bike set up front, it was like a rigid 29er, a very old surly bike, and a lot of shit strapped to it. This is cool. We're going to talk about this in greater length another time. Um, Kaz, you've been around the block. You've reviewed loads of bikes, loads of tires over the years. Do you think we'll ever see, and I'm sure this is maybe covered before, or you're sick to death even thinking about it. Do you think we'll ever go away from an inflated tire to something else? Those zip ties are pretty cool. You could change your tread hardware. Yeah, that's hill. very fancy. And yeah, there's been efforts that almost makes like with some of the inserts in there, you almost are at a tire that doesn't need mm-hmm. air. Mm-hmm. I don't think it's anytime soon. I think these tires work pretty well these days. They're pretty good. Hey? Yeah, like I, yeah. I think we will. You think we will? Yeah. Listening to podcasts with like other with tire engineers and manufacturers, I've gotten the sense that just about every major company has worked on at least prototypes of. But then how would it accommodate for the rider weight? I don't know. Yeah. yeah, I would assume there will be an air component, but they're pushing towards an integrated like tire insert combo that would reduce the need for air, if you will. <laughs> but yeah, you're going to have to run some air. Yeah. I don't see a way around that. That new NASA airless tire is really cool. Those are cool. But I don't think that's I for like... I don't know what noises they make when you run over rocks, because aren't they made of like a wire mesh? Yeah. They also have the one that's like the 3D printed mesh that looks like the specialized saddle. Yeah. But that's that's beats far in the me. future. That seems sweet, but yeah. like maybe it would struggle in the mud. Yeah, or maybe it's good for yeah, you. Just yeah. 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 You grow moss over the winter too, which would be cool. Um, but anyway, back to we kind of a bit of a tangent there. Yeah. It just I just wanted to service the weight. It was thing. only like yeah. a twenty-five minute tangent. Oh, no, we were here for the tangent. Yeah. Like, yeah. We've yeah. got tangents. We got nothing. But wanted to actually talk about EDS coverage. Sorry, enduro coverage. Fuck. I'm really into it this year. I think I think it's one of some kind of. Although I love downhill. It was a long year last year. I feel that I've actually got sort of more enthusiasm. I feel a bit fresher outlook in terms of, in terms of the Enduro and I'm loving watching the coverage. Mm-hmm. There is one piece of coverage, which is absolutely fantastic. Yeah. Ed Bull Media House. Yeah, Ed Bull Media House is crushing it this year and the, for the downhill as well. Yeah. Whatever, whatever race he's at. Whatever race he's at. Yeah, for people that haven't seen it, Ed Masters, Windmaster's brother, 
Um, both of them are <laughs> like the best is claim to fame. <laughs> well, no, because a lot of people know win first, but they're yeah, both true. super talented bike but riders. They like, both won EWSs. So yeah. fucking enjoy yourself. God's yeah. sake. <laughs> well, they were in EWSs they when they won them. at the time. Yeah. Yeah. So they both yeah. like pro. And, I mean, and both have done really well on the downhill circuit. They're both like still very accomplished racers. Yeah. So we'll, go, we'll talk about Ed Masters and I want to come back to that. Yeah. So very fast, but Ed's been injured. So he's been behind the camera this year, just getting some kind of behind the scenes footage raw practice video and commentary and it's amazing because he's out there he's yelling at the racers mm-hmm. he knows them personally so he can really heckle them like get in deep and he's <laughs> like and he's, he's not afraid to make fun of psyche. people like it's just so kind of like raw and honest and it's what i want to see from race coverage it's not all scripted and dry and it makes it seem exciting which racing yeah. bikes is a very exciting thing but also it seems to juxtapose and it's not a it's not a dig at discovery i think that it's something of a poison chalice chalice following in rob Warner's footsteps but also because they're they're new to it and it's a bit more sterile, it's a bit more clunky, perhaps they warm up into it. And then you've got Ed Masters being like, Oh my god, that drink driving is the best thing that's ever happened for his riding. Look how much he pedals. You know? yeah, 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 exactly. It kind of gives you that that's almost like the old Rob feel. Or even this last race we were just talking before we started recording, where he was there was a climb on the Enduro stage that looked pretty boring, maybe like a minute long, fairly flat, but gru not even flat. It was like a, a grueling climb to a flat bit. And he was behind the racers, screaming as loud as he could, running behind them and you wouldn't think that watching enduro racers ride uphill would be engaging content, but I watched the whole thing. It was like, that was amazing mm-hmm. just to see how hard it was for these riders to, to race this bit and how much like Ed's encouragement seemed to kind of egg them on and help mm-hmm. them. And at the end of the race, he was able to catch up with some of them and they're all like, Oh yeah, that was good to have you there. Like, thanks for that. That really like pushed me forward. As soon as I couldn't see you anymore, I slowed down. Yeah. <laughs> I will, Let's go, please. Along the lines of Eddie's coverage, uh, a few years ago, Marco Osborne was hurt and he did a series called Randy's Raw. That was the same thing just for like the American race circuit. Like he did all the like big mountains and the California Enduro series. Same energy, same element where he knew all the racers really well because he'd been on like on the podium a lot and just couldn't race that year. I would highly recommend just watching those because they're entertaining. But I really, really like that style of coverage where someone is like, in the shit and like yelling at people. I think yeah. that's what's entertaining. Yeah, exactly. And the person, and like the fact that the person filming knows the riders like after a stage or yes. something, he can just go up yeah. there, kind of get in their face and not offend them or they don't mind that they're there. Yeah. Or if you're just kind of a random, like a hired gun with a microphone and I stick my microphone in Richie's face, he's going to clam up, you know, but if Richie knew me, then it'd be a different yeah. thing. I think. Yeah. I mean, it's funny seeing road racing when people, I always find it quite infuriating when the spectators run alongside and shout in someone's face. Mm-hmm. It's not even that they're just telling them to go really fast. It's they don't know that person mm-hmm. and they don't know how that person is with their personal space, whatever. And right. I've always just thought if I was at 190 beats per minute, my heart about to reverberate out of my chest. I've been climbing a hill for like an hour after three weeks of racing all over the Pyrenees and the Alps. Mm-hmm. Then I had some fucking idiot who's rides once a week with a club six kilometers down the road to get spend all much money on an overpriced coffee and he's there in his past normal shirt like a fucking hero because he's got a rental bike taking a taxi halfway up the hill and then rode the last five kilometers and he thinks he can fucking shout at me i'd just be there like get a fuck yeah, Honestly, I think it's different, yeah. Watching it. so yeah so eddie can get away with it because he's been there and the riders kind of know that he's, yeah, he's not know he's, a real he's not like just taking the piss he's actually trying to encourage yeah. them he's not just like heckling them to be mean spirited yeah. it's like a you know, the spirit of Enduro is one of the worst cliche terms ever to come out. Eddie but made I feel a like, really good spirit of Enduro video yes, years ago. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it was good. But like Eddie's out yeah. there and it is what you want a race to be like the camaraderie, the supporting the racers and pushing them to go faster than they would. Yeah. Uh, I think it's well though, because it's not, it's hard. Like, I mean, I think it's that fine line between being like, even in an interview, like being direct and getting to the sort of the topic that maybe both people want to have some light shed on. And also maybe not being condescending or overbearing. Yep. I think a lot of those spectators in, in some things, like they can seem, yeah, a bit, a bit overbearing. A bit, and I, I think it's condescending. Like if you're there and you see, you know, I know Tade Pogaccia and he's climbing at seven watts a kilo and you're like, pedal! Like he's like, he's got it covered, man. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> like, yeah. He's trying. Yeah. It's interesting because I think you, you're trying to get caught up in the moment when you're watching it. Mm. And going back to my comment of like, when you see cross country racing at a race in person and it's like, it's electrifying. I feel like a lot of what I'm hearing from you guys is in those videos, you can, you can be sat at your desk and still feel the energy of what it's yeah. like to really be there and like experience that viscerally or mm-hmm. like 
you can empathize with the like pain or the elation that the racers are feeling, which I think is what we really want when we're thinking yes. about yeah. racing and watching it. It kind of puts you there and you don't like, I don't necessarily need the overlay to have their heart rate and I don't need like the whoa, whole whoa, course profile. I want more heart rate. Don't <laughs> yeah. you dare back on the heart yeah. rate. Like I see there's lots of effort. I know. And, and like, I appreciate the efforts that Bring the, in the heart rate. Into this I know cast. we need to see heart rate all the time. <laughs> How very dare you. Cause I've actually got a new graphic about very what I breakfast. Yeah. I, yeah. Have, yeah. I dunked my soldiers in my egg. Like <laughs> Bruni, seven time world champion. Whatever he is, you know? <laughs> yeah. Like I get the efforts to kind of like improve it and spruce it up and make it more because you watch other sports, I, I, I don't, but some people do watch other sports and I assume they have all the stats and everything. Mm. So I get that, but I think there is a space for Eddie style coverage which just like, here's these people riding fast yeah. in the woods and that's all you need to know. I'm right pretty now. sure I don't, I don't watch any other sport, but I remember like being somewhere where American football was on and they have in helmet microphones yeah. sometimes now. Uh-huh. And I would love for discovery to start doing that in downhill <laughs> you could hear someone i mean it would mostly just be heavy breathing but like the occasional like oh fuck, 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 like like nervous mumbling mm-hmm. or like like yips of glee as they did something well would probably be pretty entertaining i i think i'd like to see in terms of the mountain biking i think that the power thing's actually interesting mm. i would like to see i don't really care about heart rate because i mean what does also, it doesn't seem to be very accurate. No, I mean, a calm. lot of the people in the Starkade are like close to 200 BPM and they'd be having a really tough go if yeah. that were the case. But then others are super low. There's a weird, yeah, I think they have yeah. to calibrate it different or something. Maybe it's yeah. interesting, but yeah, power would be interesting. I know mm. like certain stages where you, either any of the events where they're actually like cranking, some of those guys yeah. are putting out huge amounts of huge yeah. power. Um, I do want to say along the lines of the Masters Brothers, wins coverage makes downhill compelling to me. Yeah. Like the his coverage throughout the season is what at least for me gives me like a human element to all the different racers it wasn't my tech videos from last year <laughs> those were helpful <laughs> 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 like Henry Vital got there like six months ago give it a rest <laughs> no I, I it's cool I mean to the same degree that Ed has with Enduro Wynn has with all the downhill racers where mm. they have rapport they know that he's racing as well. He can talk about the track while they're on track and they know that he knows what he's talking about. But also to those, to both of them as a racer and, you know, and it, a, a career can be on somewhat fickle foundations with injury and listening. What a way to diversify totally. what you offer. Mm-hmm. Brand, yeah. You know, like I'm not, obviously Wynn has had a great career across two disciplines as well as doing some e-bike racing in the world champs, I believe. Um, but I imagine one of the things that, most valued things he brings to GT is OnlyFans. His OnlyFans. Yeah, his foot pick. Mm-hmm. Um, but no, I, I think it's Gwega. You know, Dario's comment about the in-helmet um, microphones and, and playing football, it reminded me because, you know, when, when a play runs in an American football game, the cacophony and chaos that you experience and you, your limit, your view is very limited there's so much noise and there are so many things happen and you can get blindsided so quickly and just be on the ground and in a lot of pain. And, Ugh. but it only lasts a couple moments. You know, it's, it's a play, plays are less than 30 seconds. Normally they're quite short. Um, but when you said that Dario, it made me realize that the feeling of the chaos and like being, uh, being in there and knowing you have to do what you're supposed to do in those moments is, is honestly, it's a lot like riding a very hectic mountain bike trail. Like if you rode down, uh, an EWS course as fast as you could, like it feels and sounds a lot like that, yeah. especially with a cheering crowd. Yeah, yeah. True. But do you think, um, you know, what, what do you think makes good racing though? Like, because I, I think it's suspense. I think that actually, and I think that's maybe what I think soccer or, you know, football, as I call it, does really well, is that actually goals. I mean, sometimes you, games are like 1-0, right? It's not yeah. like high scoring things, but it's the weight that makes it engaging. You know? Yeah, true. And that's what I think is really great about downhill is that you're just waiting for the next one. And, some, and that's why I think actually, and I'm going to talk about it and Kaz, you're going to roll your eyes, but with Formula One, that's what they fucked it with. with it, like, they're just like, oh, people only want overtaking. And so they have this DRS and people are just constantly overtaking. But actually, for me, it was the suspense of waiting for the overtake, you know, not necessarily about having someone drive past someone like this stood still, 
would be like the strategy. Maybe only get one of them a race, but it's the waiting that made it so yeah. good. Mm. And it kind of depends on the field too. I mean, like I can talk about Formula One too a little bit. Thank but like you. if you Thank have Verstappen, so if Verstappen's just running yes. away with every race, then you don't care as much. Research. Yeah, I watch it sometimes. <laughs> I actually do watch some other sports. That probably is the only other one, maybe. But anyways, but yeah, if, if the one person is running away, it's not as interesting, you know. But like downhill's been great this year and enduro because we're having different people on the podium each race, so you never know yeah. who's going to win. So then you keep watching, like, is it going to be some of these young kids or someone, you know, Rachel Atherton coming back or anything like that? Yeah. So I think that and suspense it will make helps the too. Overall, like super compelling. Yeah. Because like in years past, it's like the overall is like more or less decided within the few first few races, at least by a majority. Yes. Um and. When we look at, I think there was sort of a, a watershed moment in, I guess it would have been La Bresse 2018, where Martin Mace won, and then he got second in Lenzerheide World Champs. Yeah. Um, mm. And now we're seeing, I mean, Sam Hill, let's face it, wasn't sadly setting the world light in Enduro before he came back to downhill. But it feels that maybe the Enduro field is sort of as strong as that 2018 in terms of mm-hmm. these amazing riders. But to, to counter that, I would say that Matt Walker, who was chipping away at downhill for years, just won a Enduro World Cup. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Do you think that it's a different skill set or do you think it's just when they're riding bikes as best as possible? Yes. Yeah. yeah. Kind of a mix. I think it's a mix, but yeah, you can be on your game for one discipline. It's hard to do both disciplines at the same time. I think it's just a, yeah. kind of a different focus. But like this year, we're going to see Richie Rude compete in the world champs, hopefully, for downhill. So he's doing Enduro right now. He's in the top of the field. Mm-hmm. He's actually, I think he's, he won the, over the winter, he won Oceania national champs. So I think it's cool to see the top athletes are able to go back and forth, but that's kind of like your rare, that's not the norm, I wouldn't say. I mean, like to keep bringing him up, like Ed Masters has gotten like top tens in both Mm -hmm. in the same season. He has. And I think there are a lot of athletes in both sports that could probably switch between, but because of the points calculations and all that hoopla like it just makes sense for them to commit to one Mm. but do you think you know to your mind dario do you think the harder thing would be the right mindset and process and executing that or literally the most fundamental level of just switching between two similar but different bikes and trying Mm. to extract because you're trying to if if you lose a second over a four minute run that could have you you know that that can cost you big time Mm-hmm. And if you're riding an enduro bike the weekend before and spending, you know, over the months prior, 60 hours to ride in the thing, and then you can help on a downhill bike, it is different. Do you think that that would play in at all? Probably a bit. I mean, obviously, there's a lot of value to knowing one bike really well. Really well. And I think we know that as people who know many bikes a little bit, it, you're like, whenever you do get to spend a lot of time on one bike, you realize how much better you can ride i think at least but yes uh i mean it seems to me i don't know this like certainly but that a lot of downhill athletes don't only ride their downhill bike they're obviously training on other stuff they like ride trail bikes a lot of the time and have the skill set to compete in other things like i bet greg Bernard could probably compete in like an xc race he wouldn't necessarily do very well but like you know I think it's pretty specialized these days. I don't think Minara do well. I think it's, he wouldn't do well, but he's like, you know, they're fit, like he's finished. Say. Yeah, yeah. Like, like it's not like, like you can't be a lazy downhill. Racer no, there's not the, like the old stereotype of like you know pounding beers and just like going out yeah. super late the night before and then racing downhill. That doesn't work anymore. Like those guys are, and girls are training super super hard. But I do think that it it, it is really hard to do switch between disciplines like you were saying just because of bike and even fitness. You, like the way you're going to get fit. Like remember when Jared Gray switched over to enduro. He lost a bunch of weight from his mm-hmm. downhill weight just to be like com- competitive in the yeah. enduro world. And I think that's still well, the a style thing. of commitment is different too. Yeah, like downhill yes. they're always talking about like you very much one hundred percent for a run. Where enduro is more like pacing yourself through a series of yeah. But I think also like in terms of you know working at the races, you'd see the people that have the best processes would normally because you know preparation is the antidote to nerves in a lot of ways, right? If you can be in the start hut being like, well, I've done everything I can do, mm-hmm. that's a pretty good place to be. That I think can be somewhat offset by a devil may care sort of attitude, but it, it's a lottery whether you don't know how you're going to wake up in six months time on that particular Sunday. True, you don't know whether you're going to be like, but oh, just send it or whatnot. Yeah. Um, From a bike perspective, I think there's an interesting thing happening. Past couple years, less so this year, but with people riding 
a bike of the other discipline in either sport. So you look at like Connor Fear and racing the dreadnought in the downhill mm. and doing pretty well. He did very well. Um, yeah. And you have like this year, like Sam Blankensop is racing that Crestline bike, but we know that that can be built up as like a pedalable super enduro thing or whatever. That's an interesting like, setup he's got there. Hey? It is. And I, it would be kind of compelling to see someone riding the same bike between the two. Well, that's how they ended up, I believe, with the Giga. And this is maybe, mm-hmm. I kind of piecing some stuff together. But I actually believe they started with a Descent as a test mule. Hmm. And they were like, they put a, in fact, if you speak to Leo Konkinen, uh, uh, is it Konkinen? Konkinen? I, can't, yeah. I, hope, I hope I haven't butchered it too badly. But he was saying, the way that he arrived on seat cheap, steep seat tube angles was putting a 140 mil or something fork on his downhill bike and then huh. building out from there. Um, and similarly, like, you know, I think that oftentimes we think that, I know that the, the head tube angles got slacker and then the seat tube angles caught up, but actually in some ways you could argue that the seat tube angles got steeper and they realized they could then <laughs> make mm-hmm. the head tube slacker. Um, but yeah, I heard that they took that descent out, tried to like make it a real test meal for an enduro bike and then, hey presto, they ended up with something that looked in, in a lot of ways quite similar. Um, kind of going to close off with a quick question. Kaz, if you could choose between having a really nice 140 mil trail bike and a downhill bike or just one really great 160, 165 mil bike, which would you choose? That's hard. Uh, I don't need, well. Because that's what a lot of, lot of the choice that a lot of our readers and listeners are coming to. Mm-hmm. Right? Like yeah. They don't want the downhill bike anymore, but they also maybe feel that 140 mil bike is somewhat undergunned. But then again, when you come here, a downhill bike is fantastic. I think I would go with the enduro bike just because I do like pedaling, pedaling a lot. Like as much as I love Whistler and get to ride here a bunch, I do pedal more than I ride the lift. So I'd want that. And I like kind of gnarly trails on, you know, more than, I don't know, often, I guess. So yeah, I would go with the enduro bike. The enduro bike. Yeah. Dario? Can I change my answer? Can I like modify the two options <laughs> I'd go with like a, I'd go with a smaller I'd smaller of the two I'd go not a 140 bike but down to like a 120 bike yeah and then not a downhill bike but a very no, long d- travel oh, enduro bike. Yeah, right. I would go with the enduro bike because that's what I have done historically okay well there we go thank you very much <laughs> and yourself Chris as, as much as these questions always make me feel boxed in the answer to the question is the 160 bike, without a doubt, because I could ride it anywhere and have a good time. And I, I suppose with the downhill bike, you can't even stand on your derailleur currently. You can't stand <laughs> on your derailleur. I mean, what's yeah, the point? Yeah, you can't if ride bikes. I am not riding it. Um, when are we going to have disc rows that you can stand on? That's my thing next. That'll mm-hmm. be nice. That'd be nice. nice. Yeah. What's your pick? What are you going to pick? Um, I um constantly riding with people that make very difficult things look quite easy and i oftentimes when i ride downhill i ride by myself when i ride in scrimmage with other people the last thing i want is to make it hard on myself riding like a 130 mil bike riding something that just it's just the i'd probably go enjoy a bike as well yeah and i love my downhill but you have but you've done the other like you have the sb140 and you have the downhill bike i I should say i've I've broken the sb140 by putting Uh terrible parts on it and oh. I've ruined it. In this hypothetical question, am I allowed to also have a trust fund so that I can live in Whistler in the summer and live in Queenstown can, in the summer? I will because that might change that might change yeah, the answer to my question. Okay, I will yeah. compromise. Mm. You can have a trust fork. It's funny, Daryl. I'm actually spending yeah a lot of time on a habit kind of oh, habit, there we go yeah and a downhill bike and. Yeah, it's a pretty good setup. It is a very, I mean, I'm a yeah. very lucky boy. Yeah. And that habit I'm writing the review right now is, is actually really great. Yeah. I really, really like it. That's, it's, um, it's a human sized bike for humans. It's got like nice. 495 mil reach because I think this is the best number. bike you've ever sent my way Kaz, that has like under a 500 mil reach or something ridiculous. <laughs> they the the nolly. These are not my fault. You, got this, <laughs> you can you can email the the yeah. people at the company and say you want a smaller bike. <laughs> well, I'm, I'll always ride a large. I'm a large stickered human. Yeah, yeah. And so I ride the large, and I always say to them, "What what do you think you should send me?" They're like, "Hmm, we've got this four nine seven mil reach bike." <laughs> yeah. No, I mean, yeah. yeah, I'm kind of I'm yeah. I'm currently facing that with a test bike, and it is like a frustrating thing because like mm. sizing has gotten kind of weird. Yeah. yeah, I think it's getting we're coming back. It's not getting super long anymore. I mean, I do you tell. think that maybe? The bike industry is just anticipating 
humans growing again. And they're just trying to... They're, yeah, all this human growth this hormone and stuff. There's, there's a guy, milk and do, stuff. Did you like, have Jamie Oliver over here? He did a lot of work in to get kids eating better school lunches. Maybe the next generation is going to be taller. We have John Oliver. As, as the resident country. tall person in the room, I, I am really appreciate the way bike sizing is gone. And I would hug every product manager who's made bikes bigger in the last few years. And I really appreciate Is there a couple of product managers that were all quite tall though? Well, I mean, I was a product manager at a OEM manufacturer and I did make the bikes there much was it Rock Rider at the you time? Uh, was it Rock, Rock Rider? Rock Rider? Yeah, it was close, Rock Rider. Close, close, close. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I, yeah, you know, I, I did try, but it's, it's a pretty hard job picking geometry. You, oh, I, have, I have gray hair. Do you know what's a really easy job? Criticizing geometry. <laughs> yeah, that's my favorite. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you have so many values. It's just honestly, man, it's like fish in a barrel being like, oh, they're three mil out of chains. They're like, yeah. nerds. But obviously they're doing this incredibly complicated job <laughs> to this incredible standard. And they're making something and bringing an idea to fruition. Then I sit here like, oh, this why do you make apart. a seat yeah. angle like one degree steeper? Like, yeah. I don't know what I'm fucking talking about. We should revisit that article we did. It was before you joined Pink Bike where we just picked our ideal geometry numbers. Oh, so that's a great idea. Yeah, we'll revisit that, that oh, one again. We should, get yeah. that article going because it's been maybe up to five, it might be five years or so well, by now. So let's see if we, yeah. if why we've we changed. another podcast to accompany that? We'll just talk yeah. about our ideal, yeah. our ideal geometry I'll get that article rolling and we'll do that. And then, do you know what would be kind of funny? Maybe if we could, um, oh, I don't know. I may be asking people to do much work, but I'd really love to send it to product managers and listen to them and be like, if they wanted to provide any criticism on our work for a change and be like, actually, you, Henry Quinney, have always complaining about this thing and you just don't understand, man, how hard it is. And I'm pretty sure my choices will be like 100% correct. Hmm. I'm confident in that. Good too. Yeah. I like that. Because that'd be mine. I, so. You want to know why? Because I have CAD files of my perfect bike on my computer. Is that what they found at Donald Trump's house? Keeps in the bathroom. <laughs> Just boxes of cat files. And here you'll find the 2008 Kona without the dope breaking arm. Oh my God. <laughs> um, but we're going to leave it there. A real sort of random assortment, but it was just nice, nice just talking and uh, a fun conversation. So thank you very much for listening and we'll catch you next time. Bye.